0: go Luby here we go Luby light here we go Luby all on a Saturday night hello this is Luby with Luby's lullabies podcast um, I've been talking about the elegance of the Hedgehog, the book by Muriel Barbary and just to recap um, to let you know that the chapters alternate between her voice, Renee's voice, and that of the 12, year, 12 and a half year old Paloma Jossi, who's living above in the apartments, um, the precocious daughter of rich parents who are educated but vapid. In each chapter, these two lonely souls echo the thoughts of each other without knowing all that they have in common. They finally come together with the introduction of a new tenant into the building, Kikuru Ozu. The three of them recognize one another by virtue of the fact that they alone in the building actually look at the other person instead of just using others as a mirror of themselves. So the characters debate in their own minds the meanings of art, the meaning of beauty and the meaning of life. To simplify their general conclusions, art is timeless Beauty reflects the essence of the matter, and life can be summarised not by Husserl, Marx or Kant, but rather by John Lennon. All you need is love. Um, a note about the title, um, The he- Elegance of the Hedgehog. At one point, Paloma opines that René has the elegance of a hedgehog. On the outside, she's covered in quills, a real fortress. But her gut feeling is that on the inside she has the same simple refinement as the hedgehog, a deceptively indolent little creature fiercely solitary and terribly elegant. This is very opportune because we've actually discovered two hedgehogs in our garden but that's another story and one quite different. Anyhow I was just going to read you a little bit about Renee and her background and I will maybe look at some other aspect of the book before moving on to something completely different. But this is called Wars and Colonies, and it's chapter two, and it's about René. I have had no formal education, as I said in a preamble to these musings. Well, that is not strictly true, but my studious youth came to a halt at the Certificate of Studies, and before that time, I was careful not to draw attention to myself. I was terribly frightened by the suspicions aroused in Monsieur Servant, my teacher, when he discovered I had been avidly devouring his newspaper, which was filled with nothing but wars and colonies, and I was not yet ten years old. Why, I do not know. Do you suppose I might really have continued? That's a question for the soothsayers of old. Let us just say that the idea of struggling to make my way in a world of privileged, affluent people exhausted me before I even tried. I was the child of nothing. I had neither beauty nor charm, neither past nor ambition. I had not the slightest savoir-faire or sparkle. There was only one thing I wanted to do, and that was to be left alone, without too many demands upon my, my person, so that for a few moments each day I might be allowed to assuage my hunger for those who have no appetite the first pangs of hunger are a source of both suffering and illumination as a child i was apathetic a virtual invalid my posture so poor you would have taken me for a hunchback and i only managed to get through my everyday life thanks to my ignorance of any alternatives my lack of interest verged on the void nothing spoke to me nothing aroused me and like a helpless wisp born this way and that, upon some mysterious wind, I was not even aware of any desire to put an end to my existence. There was very little conversation in my family. The children shrieked and the adults went about their business just as they would have been as if they were alone. We ate our fill somewhat frugally, we were not mistreated, and our pauper's rags were clean and sturdily mended, so that even when we were Even if we were ashamed, at least we did not suffer from the cold, but we did not speak. The revelation occurred when, at the age of five, going to school for the first time, I was both astonished and frightened to hear a voice speaking to me and saying my name. Renée asked the voice, and I felt a friendly hand on mine. This happened in the corridor, where for the first day of school they had gathered the children as it was raining outside. René, I heard again the inflections of the voice the voice above me and felt the touch of the friendly hand, an incomprehensible language still pressing lightly and tenderly on my arm. I raised my head, an unusual, almost dizzying movement and met a pair of eyes. René, that meant me. For the first time, someone was talking to me, saying my name. Where my parents habitually merely gestured or grunted... Here was a woman with clear eyes and a smiling mouth standing before me, and she was finding her way to my heart, saying my name, entering with me into a closeness I had not previously known existed. I looked around me and saw a world that was suddenly filled with colours. In one painful flash I became aware of the rain falling outside, the windows streaked with water, the smell of damp clothing... the the confinement of the corridor and the narrow passageway vibrating with the press of pupils, the shine of the coat racks with their copper hooks, where capes made of cheap cloth were hung together, and the height of the ceiling, which to the eyes of a small child, was like that of the sky. So with my doleful eyes glued to hers, I clung to the woman who had just brought me into the world. "'Renée,' said the voice again, "'don't you want to take off your raincoat?' And holding me firmly so I would not fall, she removed my clothes with the agility of long experience. We are mistaken to believe that our consciousness is awakened at the moment of our first birth, perhaps because we do not know how to imagine any other living state. It may seem to us that we have always seen and felt, and armed with this belief we identify our entry into the world as the decisive instant where consciousness is born. The fact that for five years a little girl called Renée, a perfectly operational machine of perception blessed with sight, hearing, smell, taste and touch, could have lived in a state of utter unawareness, both of herself and of the universe, is proof, it were, uh, if it, if were more needed, that such a hasty theory is wrong. Because in order for consciousness to be around, it must have a name. However, A combination of unfortunate circumstances would seem to confirm that no one had ever thought of giving me my name. "'You have such pretty eyes,' added the teacher, and I knew intuitively that she was not lying, that at that moment my eyes were shining with all their beauty, and to reflect the miracle of my birth was sparkling with a thousand small fires. I began to tremble and looked into her eyes for the complicity that shared joy can bring.' In her gentle, kindly gaze, I saw nothing but compassion. In the moment where I had at last come to life, I was merely pitied. I was possessed. As any hunger could not be assuaged by playing the game of social interaction, an inconceivable aim, given my social condition, and it was at a later point in time that I would grasp the meaning of compassion, I saw in the eyes of my saviour, for has one ever seen a girl raised in poverty penetrate the headiness of language deeply enough to share it with others then it would have appeased my books i touched one for the first time i'd seen the older children in class looking to books for invisible traces as if they were driven by the same force and sinking deeper into silence they were able to draw from the dead paper something that seemed alive unbeknownst to all i learned to read When the teacher was still droning away with the letters of the alphabet to my classmates, I had already long been acquainted with the solidarity that weaves written signs together, the infinite combinations and marvellous sounds that had dubbed me a dame in this place on that first day when she had said my name. No one knew. I read as if if deranged, at first in hiding, and then, once it seemed to me that the normal amount of time uh, to learn one's letters had elapsed, out in the open for all to see, but I was careful to conceal the pleasure and interest that reading afforded me. The feeble child had become a hungry soul. At the age of 12, I left school and worked at home and in the fields alongside my parents and my brothers and sisters. At 17, I was married. So there's the chapter about her first early days of reading and schooling. And as you can see it's very eloquent the language is quite uh, challenging here and there um, but it's very interesting as I said before and I think the comparison between her and when she meets the young girl above and what happens with their relationship is fascinating it's elaborate and it is very intriguing and certainly when the Japanese gentleman comes into the equation with the three of them that is something else it's a very different book and it is not to every Everybody's liking but I found it very um, ple- pleasing and very um, eloquent as I said before to read it is quite um a unique book. So I will talk a little bit further about it before moving on to a completely different, challenging, in a completely different way, um, book from a foreign author, one of my thriller type authors that I so adore. And it will be a pleasure to talk about that to you another time. If in the meantime you wish to email me or send me any news or letters or or uh, interesting facts that you may have, or want to discuss anything with me, please contact me at Lynn, uh, Luby, Luby, L-O-O-B-Y, at lubyslullabies.com. That's Luby at Luby com. and I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.